0: Check
1: it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hello and welcome to College Tips. In today's episode, Harvard graduate and Crimson education strategist Brian Moore talks about U.S. sports scholarships. We chat about the impact of COVID-19 on college sports, what prospective student-athletes can do to improve their candidacy, and how academic performance can be more important than many students think. Let's chat with Brian Moore. Hi, Brian. Welcome to College Tips. It's fantastic to have you on today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, great to see you, Alex. Uh, so um, I went to Harvard and played on the lacrosse team, and while I was there, I was studying economics and psychology. So Uh, excited to talk a little bit about sports today.
1: Yeah absolutely and since then you've been doing a fair bit of stuff at Crimson. What's your current role at Crimson?
0: Yeah so I am a uh, senior strategist and strategy team lead so I manage a a team of strategists that work with uh, a lot of students uh, particularly based in China.
1: Fantastic and you even lived a little while there and now you're based in the US again and you've survived COVID which is great to see and we can talk (laughs) about sports because I know that some sports have not survived COVID. What has been the state of play or not play, as the case may be, for sports scholarships and sports in general in the US post-COVID?
0: Yeah, it, it has been uh, pretty chaotic for a lot of uh, student athletes and schools as well. A lot of teams getting cancelled or, or having their team shut down. Uh, obviously, you know the debates about whether or not it's safe to play has been both an issue within schools and also in sort of the political sphere you know, we've seen, you know, sports like the NFL successfully have a full season, but, you know, with a lot of risk to the, to the players. So it's been challenging on a lot of dimensions uh, so far in the past year.
1: And is there any sports in particular or any schools in particular, whether that be the East Coast, West Coast, North, South of the U.S. that have been more affected than others?
0: Yeah. So since COVID obviously affected all parts of the US, uh, I don't think there was any region that avoided anything, but we've saw, we saw mostly, you know, teams struggle to have seasons in a lot of the sports that uh, don't generate uh, much or any revenue for schools. So sports like tennis, golf, some soccer teams and cross country and track have been particularly hit, but it has affected a lot of teams and. Uh, Depending on the leagues that schools are playing in, we've seen some leagues choose to have seasons and others choose to not do that. So it's been uh, very fragmented throughout
1: uh, the last year. Does it affect students who are already at college in terms of like their future at at the college or are they because they've got in for previous years or whatever, like they're set no matter what? Or could they potentially have their scholarship funding cut because their team has been cut? Absolutely. So if your
0: team is cut or if you are cut from the team in normal circumstances, you can lose your scholarship uh, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have one. So that is, uh, that, that's definitely been a big a source of concern uh, for a lot of student athletes over this past year.
1: So what was the prospects of student athletes during this admission round? Was it notably different in terms of like harder to get into a lot of places because it was more competitive?
0: I think uh, we didn't necessarily see a ton of change in uh, how competitive it was, mostly because of how much uncertainty there was throughout this whole last year. People didn't know what to expect, so most schools and most coaches sort of approached the process in a similar way. And then, but once we got to the actual application process and final decisions, uh, it was, it was definitely quite challenging for, uh, for a lot of students. You know, I had a student who was interested in going to a school and they cut that team. Uh, He was a a rower from Australia. Uh, And so that was, you know, pretty disruptive, but, you know, I also had some success as well with some of my athletes pursuing even the same sport, even within rowing, you know, we saw some success. So I think the uncertainty was the, was the hardest part for both for schools, for players uh, and for coaches over the past year,
1: and is there any sport that is like above the cuts? I guess you said your revenue generating ones, mainly definitely. basketball and, and football. They're like safe no matter what, pretty much. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, definitely they have been spared, and they've been the, the sports that have had the most games. I think across you know all divisions and all different conferences that have basketball and football. What's particularly interesting is that. You know, within American football in particular, a lot of these teams lose money. So even though they may generate revenue, they're considered a revenue sport. They still lose money for the school. And what I what I find interesting about that is just the level to which these schools are feeling the need to invest in a robust athletic department to attract students to come, even non-athletes to come to the school, to have a more exciting or interesting campus atmosphere. So the effects of how sports teams can really change the whole environment for a school. It's clear that sports aren't going anywhere, uh, even sports that may lose money, uh, which is, I think, interesting uh, thinking in the long
1: term. I've heard, though, that Dartmouth is a rather unusual case. What exactly happened at Dartmouth to the sporting teams?
0: So the quick story is that the school had decided that they were going to cut uh, several teams using the excuse that because of COVID, there were budget shortfalls and that they needed to manage that budget. For a school like Dartmouth, you know, budget considerations usually aren't a problem. Uh, there's plenty of endowment. They can always find donors to pay for sports teams. So in the very beginning, you know, that wasn't, didn't seem to be the case uh, or the thing, the main decision that was driving. And over time, it began to, to come out that there's been a lot of pressure, particularly at the most academic schools, places like Dartmouth, to find a, a new center for the balance between academics and sports at schools. And so I think that a number of people used COVID as an opportunity to rebalance that equation in the favor of the academics uh, and the voices of academics at Dartmouth. And so when the shuffle sort of played out, we've seen those teams get reinstated, which has been very disruptive. That disruption has been, I think, epitomizes this past year in terms of the level of uncertainty and how decisions can be made, but then quickly turned around. But hopefully things will settle down there and get back to normal soon.
1: Right, right. Okay, fair enough. And also, I, I want to know about the divisions and how they mm. were affected, whether, you know, your Div 1 schools were still very committed to going with the sporting teams and whatnot, but your your Div 3, et cetera, perhaps, as you said, with uh, the case of Dartmouth, kind of saw that balance between academics and sport and was like, this is a chance to kind of push things more to the academic side of things. So is there any difference in the divisions for universities and how they've been kind of coping with this and and changing their arrangements with sport? Sure. So
0: so one of the key differences between division one, division two, and division three is that division one and two have scholarships or can offer scholarships if they choose to do so, whereas Division Three is not able to do so. So that changes the budget pretty considerably for the different schools. What we've seen generally is essentially within Division Three schools, a pause. So we're not going to make any decisions. We're not going to hire new coaches. We're not going to make too many new commitments to new athletes. And at the same time, we saw quite a lot of uh, students taking gap years, so taking time away from school, uh, to either work or just not study during a, an online learning environment. And so I think we, we sort of saw a, a freeze on most activity within Division Three, And so as COVID is lifted, you know, things will start to heat up. And so I think that that pause has not necessarily been reflected in in other sports and in other divisions where things are a bit more competitive and the focus on winning is, is a lot higher. So a division three school can generally get away in most cases with skipping a recruitment class or uh, not bringing in the top athletic talent because, you know, that's just not their number one priority. Uh, Whereas, you know, I think that within certain within money sports, and uh, within most of Division One, I think there's still been the, the continued pressure to find the athletes to bring into the school. But that still has been full of uncertainty this whole this whole time. And uh, I think what we'll see is rosters that, uh, are pretty full, and perhaps over the next couple of years, you know, some cutback in terms of the number of scholarships available for certain sports in particular, as schools try to manage their budgets and and manage the size of the team, since that there are caps on those.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask the kind of crystal ball question: What do you see happening in the future? And as I guess COVID restrictions start to slowly lift a- across the U.S., uh, whether teams would ever get back to that full kind of like sports crazy college campus type of vibe that, you know, when over here in Australia, when I look at the US and colleges, I think like sport crazy for a lot of them, which is which is awesome. But do you think we'll ever get back to that kind of level? You know, it's it's hard to even imagine, uh,
0: you know, getting in a crowd of thousands of people and screaming very loudly, you know, right now. But I, I do think that, you know, in the long term, we're going to get back to uh, some sense of you know, normalcy, uh, and we'll have pretty close to what we've experienced in the past. I think in terms of the long-term changes, I I don't think things will stay the same, but I think those uh, issues are more around collective bargaining energy that's existed in past years, antitrust uh, considerations against the NCAA, some of the rules and changes around amateurism that happened in the last year in allowing players uh, to actually make money off of their name I think some of those changes are likely to accelerate that we've seen in, you know, in other areas of other industries and in other parts of the world where COVID has sort of accelerated movement that we've seen. I think those things are likely to, to happen. And so that may have some changes to how sports exist in the United States. But I, I don't think that we'll be missing out on, you know, the, the rowdy games that, that we've all come to love.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm also interested in the impacts of the SAT, the dropping of required exams, essentially, for sure. uh, students across the board. Is that still applying to uh, athletes? Do they not have to sit the SAT anymore as well?
0: Yeah, so so that was actually quite interesting. We did see you know, a lot of requirements be lifted for, for a lot of schools across the US. Of course, there were some exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. And we are expecting that this year, we will continue to see some version of reduced requirements for testing. Uh, What was interesting, though, was schools that particularly care a lot about academics, so schools within the Ivies in particular, uh, we did see requirements around testing, uh, despite the fact that you didn't have an admissions requirement to to have an SAT score, for example, in order to be a recruitable athlete, you did. So uh, in actually some cases, it was pretty much the same, uh, and that they expected a lot of athletes to have already taken those tests And that makes some sense because within the Ivies, you have to meet certain academic requirements in order to be a recruitable athlete. And the department as a whole needs to have, on a relative basis, compared to the other students in the school, have to be within a certain band. And so uh, in order to meet those Ivy League requirements, they did keep testing. So... Uh, we'll see. I think how how they're able to deal with. I think a broad momentum towards fewer testing requirements. But I would expect to see that persist in the short and probably in the medium term as well.
1: Right. So basically, across the board, no matter which university you're applying to, if you're an athlete, you still had to sit some form of SAT. Is that correct?
0: I would say yes. I, yep. I think that there will be certain. There will certainly be exceptions to that. But uh, but it, it helps to expand your opportunities. You know, if you're able to get a really good test score, something that you know sticks out, that's definitely an advantage. In addition to that, sports scholarships make up, you know, obviously that's the thing that gets all the attention, but many athletes get a considerable amount of their your scholarship money actually based on their academic scholarship. So, you know, you can have both an athletic and an academic scholarship. In many cases, the academic scholarships actually worth more than your athletic scholarship. So having really strong test scores, having really strong grades in your school, these will be things that will make you both more recruitable uh, for all schools and will also give you the opportunity to, to have more money. There's one more thing on, on having access to that academic money is that makes you Uh, much more attractive to coaches, even for schools that are not in the top 50, you know, U.S. News and World Report rankings. The reason for this is, it's much easier for coaches to get access to that academic money because that's not coming out of a preset amount of cash that they have available to them. Right. So, you know, if you're able to get access to some of that academic money, that can free up additional sports specific money that the coach can then give to somebody else. So it makes you a very attractive recruit if you're able to bring both the sport and the academic side.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to ask in the situation of say like a year 10 student here in Australia, like 15, 16 years old, who is a gifted athlete at say a couple of different sports? There was always sure. one of those kids in any school, right? You know, like those man childs that kind of uh, develop <laughs> early and whatnot, and they that start. That was not at, me. You no, know, well, it wasn't <laughs> me either. I mean, I uh, I got to 167 centimeters and stopped growing. For people in the US, that's basically not very tall. And, <laughs> and so for the students in that situation who are saying, yep, you know, a US college, I want that to be in my future. How could they strengthen their candidacy over the final years of their high school? Should they be focusing more on the academics? Should they be focusing more on a particular sport that is perhaps recruitable at a higher percentage rate? Like, should they focus on other extracurriculars that are related to their sport, but might be more community focused, for instance? Like what can athletes in that kind of 15 to 16 age bracket uh, who haven't yet got a letter from a university, because I know some universities do reach out quite early these days, but who haven't mm-hmm. heard from a university yet, what could they be doing to kind of uh, tailor their application in those last couple of years of school? Sure. So
0: I, I think to to generalize things first, and then and then I guess we can talk in the specifics. But, you know, I think the first thing to understand or to ask yourself uh, if you're a student, uh, or something that I might ask you if, if I were to talk to to you as a student, is what is it really that you're looking for? For me, when I was in in high school, I had this vision for having this even split between academics and athletics. And uh, I wanted to really maximize both of those things at the same time. And so that gave me a very clear sense uh, and gave me some specific universities to target. You know, my first list of schools that I was interested in, you know, it was like 35 schools long. So I had a very clear sense of exactly what I was looking to do. And 35 schools is quite a bit, Mm. uh, but it gave me some place to start. So I think asking yourself, you know, what are those priorities for you? Since those will be different. Some students really care about the athletic experience, and that's the only reason that they want to go. Maybe they want to go pro in their sport for something like that. Other students, you know, they want to leverage their athletic talent to get into a really good school. That's quite different. Um, Some students are maybe more in between. So understanding that question, I think, is, is quite important. Uh, And then you you can essentially apply that same logic to other areas of your life. You know, while, even though I was an athlete and and went the recruitment route myself, you know, there were plenty of other things that I was very heavily involved in. A lot of the things that I loved the most were sport related. I was coaching, I was mentoring and doing a variety of different things within my sport. But, you know, I I had access to that. I had the right network uh, of people around me to get access to those kinds of opportunities to to involve myself different ways. So I'd be thinking about opportunities like that. So, you know, we shouldn't be thinking, okay, well, the only thing I need to do is play my sport. You know, Mm -hmm. we do need to have some breadth and some variety. An easy place to start is who are the people that I know? What are the other opportunities within my sport that aren't necessarily playing that I could get involved in? And and that, that can start to open up new opportunities and new interests of yours as well. Right.
1: Fantastic. And then, of course, the academic side of things, like you should still kind of study for that SAT, right?
0: Absolutely. There, there's really nothing better for coaches than to know right off the bat that they're not going to have any challenge with admissions with you uh, and your candidacy. If you can take that off their mind and have them feel very confident that you are going to be a really good fit for them, then that's a huge uh, sigh of relief that they can feel. It doesn't really matter what level you're targeting. If you're targeting the very most academic schools, it's just as important to give coaches that comfort that you will be able to handle the academics of whatever school you're targeting. Otherwise, they're not going to waste, waste their time. There's too many other great, hardworking athletes out there that want that spot too. And so they need to prioritize. And if you've got the academics, it makes it that much easier on them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm interested also in your role a little bit more specifically in terms of helping you know, prospective student athletes. What kind of problems or pain points are you typically solving throughout the recruitment process and even you know slightly before that for students who are aiming to go to the U.S.?
0: Sure. So I guess I've, I've seen a variety of different cases from students who, you know, have just picked up a new sport and are just beginning to realize that they really love it and deciding through that whole process that they do want to go for uh, go to be recruited. One of my students this past year was that case. Uh, he became a rower, had never done that before. And just this past year was uh, admitted into Columbia, which was an amazing result for him. Uh, and so was able to you know, hit all of his, his goals through both his burgeoning love of, of his sport and also his academic passions. So I think you know I've I've seen those kinds of cases and I've seen students who are very late in the process who don't understand how to navigate it but do you know know that they want to uh, you know that they have this goal of playing sports at a, at a higher level so I think it really uh, there's there's quite a lot of variety generally speaking a lot of my students have been based outside of the United States. So the challenges that they tend to face are having to do with, you know, the physical distance, the fact that a lot of coaches aren't able to watch them in person play. That's that's a big challenge. Uh, and then I think just the, the, the communication and both how I communicate and when do I communicate, I think are big challenges for students. Uh, it can be really intimidating talking to these people who you perhaps idolize or uh, or want to have them respect you and think that you are valuable to them. That can be pretty challenging, regardless of whether you're in the States or abroad. Uh, I think navigating those those uncertainties and identifying what schools I should be targeting in my recruitment process. Those are, I guess, the big questions that I tend to see a lot.
1: Yeah, because it is really weird for student athletes, I guess, because they are the, as I understand it, the only people through the college admissions process who pretty much are directly communicating with the gatekeeper on the other side, right? That if they're in communication with the the coach, and the coach is either going to give them a yay or a nay, like that can be the gatekeeper to them get into college and even to get a scholarship or not. Uh, whereas the majority of students are doing majority of their communication through their personal statement or their essay. That must be a very, very delicate process when you are picking when and what to say to any number of coaches. And I I know that I think I heard uh, Tessa, who's one of the other sports strategists at Crimson, she said like, never tell someone like, dear coach, because it just shows that you've probably templated an email and you're spamming it out to a whole lot of people if you're not personalizing it. Is it that kind of nitpicky, generally speaking?
0: Absolutely. The the coach that I eventually played for, uh, his last name was Wojcik, and so that was always a really tough one to try to spell, and I mm-hmm. had to double check it three or four times because that was that was always scary to send those emails. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, particularly when you're, you know, let's say a year ten, grade nine, you know, student, you've never really sent emails or serious emails before to people. You know, that could be pretty intimidating. And so knowing whether I'm saying the right thing, if I'm saying enough, if I'm saying too much. I think that's always a concern. Generally speaking, uh, most of my students don't say enough. Uh, and so, you know, we have to encourage them to communicate more proactively and communicate more than just, you know, sports related updates. These coaches want to see whole people, people that will bring, you know, a lot of different dimensions to the team uh, on a, both an athletic and also a personality basis. Having an interesting group of teammates is a recruiting tool for coaches. So, you know, if you can have more interesting, more thoughtful, more uh, better athletes on your team, that's going to make you more attractive for for future students to come to as well. So being the full picture, the full student in this process is is important and finding ways to communicate that, whether it's via Zoom or via email, can be pretty challenging.
1: And I also have the question of when students should start this process, because I know that that's often bandied around and parents are like, My child is only like 14, 15. They love their sport, but we're not quite sure whether they're going to continue with it in the next couple of years as academics start ramping up at school. What are your general views on like the age to start thinking about or not just thinking about, but possibly taking action into the college recruitment process?
0: Sure. So I grew up uh, around a lot of people who were thinking about this. You know, my high school was known for having a lot of student athletes going to phenomenal schools. You know, I have friends who are in the NFL. Uh, so pretty pretty strong school. And, and a lot of people around me wanted to go through this process. So I was lucky in the sense that I had, I had that awareness around me. And I think that that's probably what's lacking most or why people start too late is that they lack the awareness of what the process might look like. And so The people around them aren't thinking about it, aren't talking about it. They therefore think, well, okay, I guess I don't have to think about it either. So I would definitely say that it tends to be the case that people start too late. Obviously, you know, there's definitely opportunities to start too early, right? When you're, you know, still in elementary school, that's too early to Mm -hmm. be, you know, focusing on this. But, you know, once you, I think, are, you know, taking ownership of your own athletic development, you know, you're know, you the one that's you know, going to the gym, you're getting the extra reps in practice, you're the one who really wants that. Uh, and you've decided that you're going to put that level of effort in. I think at that point, you can be thinking about college. For me, what that mark was around uh, eighth grade or uh, year nine. So that's when I realized, and that's actually when I made my first school list was around that time to, to know that, I had some goals and I wanted to start working towards them from there. Then it's just surrounding yourself with great people, great coaches and a plan to eventually get seen, but that stuff takes time. So it's good to start early. I think certainly earlier than most people think.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think for parents as well, like it's a, it's a bit of a challenge because they think you, well, I don't want to burden my child with more pressure, but really like if you leave it too late, that's when the pressure really starts kicking in. Like if you're going to have any kind of chance at doing this, you need to kind of spread that pressure over as many years as possible. And as you said, you know, put that plan in place as as early as possible. Is there any final advice that you would give to students and or parents who are prospective student athletes who are, you know, perhaps kind of thinking, oh, you know, is is the US ever going to be the same for for college sports, these kinds of things? What advice would you give them as they move forward to next couple of years and hopefully aiming for that college recruitment? Sure.
0: So I think I think in over the last year with with COVID, I've heard both from athletes and non athletes, this sort of sense that I can't do anything or there's nothing I can do about the fact that I can't go outside or or, there aren't opportunities that otherwise were there for me. I think that that's obviously both, you know. It's both true in, in some ways but it also is I think it also opens up the opportunity to be that person who solves that problem uh, and to be the person that you know is able to find a creative way to to pursue whatever their goals are whether that's athletic or otherwise and so thinking about getting creative about solving you know that challenge whatever it is for you that that you're sort of most frustrated by or that you feel like that you know you can't solve, that's the one that, uh, that you should focus on trying to address in your life. Cause that's going to be the one that is going to give you the most bang for your buck in terms of uh, that effort that you'll put in. So, you know, if you, if you are an athlete listening to this and that means that, you know, all of those traits that you're learning in in practice, you know, how to be a leader, you know, how to persevere through, you know, pain or, or tough challenges, you know, apply those skills or, or, you know, in other areas, right. If there's some initiative going on at your school that, uh, that you're interested in, but, you know, otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to take part in because that's what you normally have practice. Now's the time to take advantage of those kinds of opportunities. Uh, and so, you know, if you can lean forward through this, um, as as difficult as it is, you know, obviously it is very challenging, but if you can find a way to to push through that, you're going to be much further along than, uh, than most of your peers will be. And you'll build that lead and be in, a, in a great position uh, to take advantage of whatever goals are in front of you whether that's the admissions process or, or some other challenge that you want to tackle
1: perfect well brian it's been awesome chatting all about sports i always learn a thing or two chatting uh, with our lovely strategists from all around the world and you are no exception to that rule for students or parents who listen to this there will be a link in the show notes if you would like to work with someone like brian on an application to the US or the UK or wherever you have in mind. But obviously, if you're aiming for sports, you're probably better off aiming for the US. But Brian, it's been awesome chatting and enjoy the rest of your day there in the US. Yeah, great to see you, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.